0: Welcome to How To Japan. Tonight, we will be talking about music. Sounds nice. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. What about yourself? Oh, yeah, I'm doing okay. Yeah, I've, uh, I'm have i a little more prepared for this one. than the, You won't be picking up too much of the weight. You won't be carrying me on this one. Don't worry. But let's gotta, see how it goes.
1: Yeah, yeah. Don't worry. I got to work my squats in for the week, so don't worry. If i gotta carry something
0: yeah but i know i need my i need to get my reps in
1: okay don't worry sometimes you know things happen
0: music yeah we it's quite a general topic mm. we're, we're looking at music through the lens of living in japan yes but just on a taking a step back oh. uh how much music do you listen to what kind of genres do you gravitate towards
1: uh, I guess, you know, the the standard rock, jazz type of stuff. Country, sometimes. Rock and
0: jazz? Yeah. Really?
1: Why? Would you, would you have a problem just with that? It seems
0: so desperate. It's desperate. So, like, they're kind of. <laughs> desperate <laughs> it just seem for It seems like for they what? go together. like rock and pop, maybe. Rock and jazz.
1: Yeah. I like rock, okay. jazz, and country. Sometimes we listen to classical music. Yeah. Uh,. Rarely do I listen to classical music, but, you know, and, and there's so many sub genres. It's like, you know, what the hell? It's hard to really say, well, uh, this song includes a polka beat and some ska. You know, I mean, that's the state of, um, you know, music now There it's kind of fluid. I guess that would be the term that you can't really say what genre it is on on any given oh, like track. gender yeah or, or what what's that gender yeah yeah it's, gender fluid it's music fluid so you know it's kind of hard to say even you know you go back 20 30 years or one of my favorite uh musicians frank zappa you listen to his music and half the time it's it starts like off as so- sounding like a rock and roll song and ends up in the middle of it, it sounds like he's doing a classical music solo. You know, right, so right. It, it's uh, you know, th- th- I think that's the state of music uh, as as it as it occurs right now.
0: What about you? Yeah, my taste, oh, they're eclectic. My taste in music. I mean, I can listen to classical one day, depending. Well, actually, depending on the activity. Mm-hmm. So if I am reading something, mm-hmm. usually I'd like to listen. I like to listen to music that has no vocals, uh-huh. there are no lyrics, there are mm-hmm. no words interrupting my my thoughts while I'm consuming something in written form Mm -hmm. or if I'm writing something. Right. If I have to write something, then yeah, I I find that music with vocals kind of interrupts my, my flow. Mm -hmm. So I like to listen to classical music. Um, But apart from that, if I'm, I don't know, doing any kind of strenuous uh, exercise or Mm -hmm. if I'm in the mood, Mm Mm-hmm. I like every yeah every genre mm. pop rock metal right I remember listening to Metallica a lot mm. Tool growing up mm-hmm. but then at the same time I liked uh, I could listen to a few Spice Girl songs mm-hmm. S Club 7 I'm not ashamed to admit mm-hmm. that I've listened to those and the Carpenters and the Bee Gees uh, really kind of a, a wide wide range mm. uh, songs from the 60s Mm. I like that. I like that era right. of music, as well. But I can't really pinpoint. I can't pin down a particular genre mm. of music. I just just depends on my feelings. I, have you ever had this feeling when you listen to a song that you haven't heard or you haven't heard in a decade mm-hmm. or more? You haven't heard it in year, many many years. Mm. Yet upon hearing it, it's like stepping into a a wormhole. Oh yeah. You know, you you get transported to yeah. a particular age and environment or situation. Well, Does that, that happen ha- to you? Oh of course, all the time. It's the, amazing, isn't it? Yeah. The impact that music can have on you like that. There's
1: certain songs like you can't even it's, it's too painful. <laughs> oh really yeah it's like I, I i think this song is good but uh, i don't know I'd is that rather... the time you
0: got hit by a car while uh, you're listening to your ipod or no it's just you know a certain <laughs> you got beaten up in a dark alley you know, periods
1: of adolescence <laughs> and things like that you know oh <laughs> okay okay yeah i kind of know that exact feeling and i'd like oh, to bounce a depression yeah yeah all that kind of stuff uh but uh yeah definitely there's uh There's songs that can transport you to the same place visually, visually, and emotionally.
0: Isn't that, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. Like I, uh, because I was listening to one song. I think it was um, Electrical Light, Electric Light Orchestra. Uh Uh-huh. Have you heard of them?
1: ELO. um,
0: ELO. uh, Evil Woman. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was in, um, uh, this was many years ago, but I was in a game center in Japan. Mm-hmm. Just a video game, like an arcade uh-huh. in Japan. And the song came up, and immediately I was transported to a time in high school listening to the song. And uh, I remember being, and like, overhearing some guy with a, uh, a like a stereo. That was before iPod. Uh-huh. That's how old I am. And bef- uh, not too many people had, like... Uh, their own Walkmans, but one guy had like a stereo system, and uh, yeah, I heard it, I heard it on the radio, and it just took me back to that moment. Mm. Definitely an amazing, yeah, interesting experience. This uh, connection to music, how it can just shape the way you, you, know, you, you view view life at that particular time. Mm.
1: Well, now I have I have the experience of certain songs that, like I, I bought a an Emmylou Harris. I, I I like to collect records. So I bought a Emmylou Harris album uh a few months ago and uh from a second hand shop and um I only bought it because I it, on um, Bob Bob Dylan did a did an album called Desire and I bought I picked that up for like 500 yen 5 bucks at the same second hand shop and she did uh backup vocals for him in this Albums. so i was like well, Lou harris what the hell's what's what, what the hell's her deal so i went down to the store and i picked up some some of her albums and and it and i, I was like it transports me to my childhood like i didn't mm. even listen but the sound the specific type of sound and the, the melancholy of the of the rhythms and the the storytelling that that goes on within the songs it's a very uh, it, it's you know, you talk about songs that are from your childhood that bring you back to your childhood or a specific time. This album brings me back to a place. Although I, I, I know I don't recall ever really listening specifically right. to her before. And, and I think there's something interesting. I think it might be the nature of country music as a whole, like, uh, which I never really listened to that much. But I I think that, you know, people like Neil Young, you listen to more Neil Young and you're like, okay, wait, this is, this is country. And then you you start listening to Johnny Cash or whatever. And then any old, old, really old blues. And you start really getting into it. And it's like, well, these, there's some quality country music that's not, you know, talking about like the crappy radio shit that you hear where you go to if I visit America when I would visit my dad and uh, turn on the radio. You listen to country music. It's like the modern country music just sounded so crappy. It was it was like second rate top 40. It was just so horrible. But there's some stuff that is such quality sound that really creates a mood and feeling and uh, that, that country music really kind of brings me back to where I'm from, in a way.
0: My uh, musical tastes have uh, remained static mm-hmm. over the years. I haven't really branched out into mm-hmm. anything else. I've just stuck to the same kind of playlists. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've listened to Spotify on occasion, where they'll rec- make recommendations using an algorithm. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, I haven't really experimented with, other, with any... New music. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I you know what I was thinking about when we talked when we were thinking about music is I, I was wondering how long does it take for a song to have an impact on you? Is it usually immediate? Does that just depend on you, uh, the quality of the song, or your state of mind at the time to be receptive of it? It's like the song is first met by your you know, just intellectually. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even like certain songs. You've got to listen to them like maybe over and over mm. before your limbic system. You, you have an emotional resonance with it. Mm. Whereas sometimes songs can bypass your you know executive functioning mm. and just go straight to your limbic system right. and have an immediate emotional response. I think that's something that I've uh, mm. I was thinking about the other day when we just decided to cover music. I think it's, it's it's an interesting question because
1: I, I, it takes me back to when I was a teenager and I would go and buy CDs or even when I was younger in elementary school, one of my hobbies was to save my allowance and go to used record stores and buy records. And you know, the thing is you get really excited about the CDs or, or a record and you listen to it and you listen track by track and you open up the lyric sheet and you sit down and you listen to it and there's certain songs that really hit you and, and are hit you profoundly at first and then there's other songs that you might feel like aren't so good, but because of the nature and Dweezil Zappa said something about this. I thought it was really interesting was like in those days, you know, nowadays we have Spotify and we can, you know, curate things very specifically. But when you buy a record, when you buy a CD, to a lesser extent a CD more so a record, you have to sit down because you purchased that thing and you have to put the needle on the record press play and sit through the whole side, at least side a. And there's certain songs that will resonate with you, but then there's other songs that take longer. And sometimes that's those songs that take longer actually stay with you in the long run. And you mm. end up liking them because you start to understand the groove that they are trying to express to you. And I get that with uh, the various things. Like I, Uh, Last year, I went to a record shop in Tokyo uh, over in Shimokitazawa. Shimokitazawa is a really great place to buy records in Tokyo. A lot of record shops there. And uh, there's this one place. It's like a barn-looking place. Anyway, I picked up the Tubes, the last Tubes album called Love Bomb. It looks cheesy as fuck. I put it on the record player, and I was like, this sounds so 80s and cheesy, like just so... Produced, But then I listened to side B and I was like, holy, holy shit. This is like way. I mean, it's 80s, but there's something going on with the production value that sounds so different and unique. And then I just kept listening to them. Then those cheesy songs that I thought were cheesy at the beginning, I really started to get into them more because I I sat down to listen to side B and it started creating this whole feeling an atmosphere that I otherwise wouldn't have paid attention to if I had just hit, heard one or two tracks off, say, the radio or a Spotify station. So I, I really, yeah, I mean, to to answer your question, there are definitely ones that have immediate impact, but then there's the ones that kind of slow burn it, and those sometimes can be the best songs. I think.
0: Yeah, the ones that have immediate impact you can get tired of very quickly. Mm. It's the ones that you struggle with at the beginning mm. yeah they do stay with you longer
1: right there's a i think there, you know there's rock and but then there's the style uh, of singers like if you think about lou reed or I maybe most people wouldn't put lou reed in the same category as johnny cash but they're both stylistically in a way they kind of talk sing they both kind of they they both had that both both have they both had that system where they're telling you, telling you a story but they're kind of melodic but they're not really going into they're not being beautiful with their voices although they do create a, a very specific presence with their voice they they create mm. a definite atmosphere that other singers who might have more beautiful relish in their songs uh don't can't quite create even though you know, that might be on different levels of sound quality.
0: Mm. Well, we should talk about Japanese music. Yeah. Since we are a podcast dedicated <laughs> to Japan. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think But at least the listeners so. have a better idea of what we like in terms yeah. of just music in general. Mm-hmm. Um, before coming to Japan, I had no real idea of mm. Jap- Japanese yeah. music. Um, and I... I think it was the plane over. I, I may have... I, I, don't, I don't remember my first real introduction. Or maybe it was upon reaching Japan. But um, yeah, I had no real idea. Did you know of um, many bands or singers no. before coming to Japan?
1: Not really. There was a place I worked at, and this one, some of the co-workers who were really into alternative music uh, introduced me to this band called Pizzicato Five, which is kind of like an Indies Mm. band from the 1990s. Yeah. But I didn't really like them. I didn't really like their sound. Um, And then there was another kid who I worked with who is totally into noise. And he introduced me to some uh, Japanese noise musicians, which it's not really my thing either. So I I didn't really have that deep of a knowledge of uh, Japanese music that I would like. Per se. Mm,
0: yeah, I think I've I've already established that my tastes Are very e- eclectic, and, and and upon coming here, I I I heard, I think Gakt was on TV. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of Gakt? Yeah, Gakto, the guy who looks like a wannabe model. Yeah. Oh yeah, I guess he is very handsome in mm. Japan. Uh, but there are a couple of songs, yeah, that really resonated with me. I like I liked his I liked his style. I like I liked his shtick his mm. shtick. I liked his, uh way of like being a being a being a performer on stage right and uh i think yeah it was him and also mr children uh-huh. or what they refer to in japan as a mr mr chidu uh,
1: misu, hmm. uh
0: yeah, my
1: wife loves or, or really liked him a lot for a long time
0: yeah i they um I did. I, I I I fell in love with them just through hearing them in just the odd places and supermarkets and stuff, and also uh, in karaoke. Many people would request their songs, and it just slowly just seeped in to my yeah. Made it made it, had a, I just had an emotional connection with them. I didn't understand the meaning behind the words, but I just loved the just loved the style, the mm-hmm. way. Like some of the way the songs just, uh, yeah, resonated with me.
1: Uh, Mr. Children, you know, I, for a long time I would listen to him because my wife really likes him. And I'd sit there and I'd be like, uh, Mr. Children sounds like Elvis Costello. My mm-hmm. wife, I don't like Elvis Costello. I'm like, he sounds like He sounds like, like, Elvis Elvis like a Costello. pedophile ring. <laughs> yeah that's also yeah. No. I don't I don't mean so much the name itself but I mean the sound of the music right and that's what I'm talking about yeah uh, so like his vocalizations of things and um, then one day I was like what the hell I heard a guitar riff and I was like that's that's quick time that's from trust that's that Costello Costello 1981's that's a riff at the beginning of the song, but I couldn't. It's one of those things where I, I, I was like, I know this song. I know what this song is. I know what this is. And I had to go to sleep. And I was like, I told my wife, I'm going to go to sleep. And in the middle of the night, I'm going to wake up and know what that song is. I didn't wake up in the middle of the night, but I did wake up in the morning. And I was like, got it. And I showed it. And I was like, that's the song. And I was like, it sounds exactly like Elvis Costello. He listens to Elvis Costello. And then my wife was oh, okay. And then I, I started, we started doing Deeper Dive. And then like, you know how Elvis Costello in the late 70s had uh, My Aim is True. That whole look he had kind of a Buddy Holly-esque homage type of thing. Well, Mr. Children had a Elvis Costello homage video of that time period. And I was like, look, he's doing Elvis Costello homage But in a way, he's just copying him because nobody in Japan knows that he's doing Elvis Costello to the point where last year he was at the Fuji Film Festival and he had or maybe a couple years. It was Fuji Film Festival a couple years ago and big screens on either side of that video and him doing the whole pigeon toed uh, look with the guitar, the way he handed his guitar and his. Uh, glasses, the big glasses that Elvis Costolo wears, and everyone's going, yeah. But uh, you know, it, it just kind of like surprised me that no one knows that that style is coming from. It's to the point where, <laughs> to the point where, Sakamoto Yuichi, who's like a classical composer in Japan, my my wife was looking up because then she started to get bothered by the fact that I I kind of ruined. I didn't want to ruin it, but I was just like, it's Elvis Costello. And she looked up this guy and he, he was like, I don't like uh I don't like Mr. Children. He just steals everything from Elvis Costello. And this is like a well respected mm. musician from Japan saying that guy is shit. Wow, and I, I don't think he should go that far because everyone has their inspiration. For example, Elvis mm. Costello and freaking Buddy Holly. I mean, he wore those yeah, big yeah, yeah. rimmed glasses, all the suits, and the the way he held his guitar. That's Buddy Holly basically, and and Elvis Costello admits to that. You know, he was very uh, heavily influenced by that time period and that music and that look. But that, that's just my little. Aside, they to, they to
0: sold the over seventy five million records, mm-hmm. and in the mid nineties, they created this phenomenon called uh, mischilled Phenomenon. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what it means, but I guess it's some kind of cultural and societal boom. Mm-hmm. Um, but I bring up this band because I remember a Japanese friend of mine at the time. He, uh, I say at the time, I, I haven't, yeah, uh, somehow we fell apart. But right. he, I asked him, I said, can you help me with the lyrics? Mm-hmm. I. I I want to under. Uh, can you write them out for me in Romaji or something? And uh, and he helped me. He, you know, we'd go to karaoke and we sing together with some other with other people, uh, other mutual acquaintances. And then he took me to the studio mm. in Tokyo, a recording studio. Uh-huh. It was like a mini mini studio. Right. So we he re- <laughs> he recorded me singing it, uh-huh. and he put it on a CD. <laughs> I took it home and I listened to it, uh-huh. and it was amazing. Did Just you follow the having song? the song? <laughs> Just having the song there, just listen. Instead of having having the lead singer, it's me. It's my voice, my <laughs> shitty, my shitty voice, without much many without much of a range. Uh-huh. <laughs> Covering the song is incredible.
1: Oh, that's pretty fun.
0: But that's Japan for you. Yeah. You know, you enjoy karaoke. You can actually record yourself in a studio and get a little CD printed. Yeah, and listen to yourself. And I think you can. I think people use it not just for narcissistic reasons, but just to get better. I think mm. they listen to themselves. With the with the setup And then they go out to karaoke again In order to, to get better At like those artists that they love And then they sing it in front of their workmates Or their other friends Because karaoke is, a, is such a huge I mean this is the home of karaoke mm. Where we've got such a selection of different karaoke joints You've got the cheap ones And then you've got the expensive ones And you go out with friends and colleagues And it's such a It's so embedded in the culture that you don't you don't want to be ashamed if you can't hold a note. You want to at least be passable. So
1: Well, you know what's really funny is, you know, you mentioned karaoke among friends and I think everyone's familiar with that you know, like the singing karaoke competitions that are televised. Jesus mm. Christ. They you know at this point, you know, they take these people who are you're not professionals, but they, they just have wonderful voices and they, they take the stars, the people who actually sing the songs, and they sit in the audience and watch these people sing. And The competitions are really, really kind of intense because overlaid on the screen are the notes of the song. So as they're singing, they will show where they're hitting the note correctly and when they're missing so mm-hmm. you can see that real time as it's happening.
0: That's harsh. Yeah, that's pretty like.
1: That's like beat for beat. You you did they hit it? Did they make their mark yeah. or not? Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. that that's something that's pretty big. Sometimes you what uh, you know, random Saturday afternoon, you might end up s- turn on the TV and sit around and watch that for a while, depending on who who they're singing for. But you know that th- that's pretty intense to be in front of your idol, you know. You're just some guy who works at a convenience store who happens to love whoever, and then they're in your face while you're doing their song <laughs> with notes overlaid as people are watching whether or not you're hitting the notes properly or not. Uh, that, uh, I thought that was uh, got pretty unique to Japan because I think in other countries, it, you're allowed to take your own flourish of the song, mm. put your own take on it, but Japanese culture is type in which you you, to hit the mark exactly, to have the same exact form is really, really important. So Mm. uh, that they take it to the next level with that. Whereas I think if I don't really watch American Idol all that much, I've never really actually seen it, but uh, judging from the little snip, snip snippets I've seen, it's like people have their own take on something. Oh, you're unique. Oh, you're different. Even though you might be singing a cover, you make it your own. Whereas these karaoke shows, they're like, you do it exactly, perfectly the way he sings it. And that is taken to be the the pinnacle of of success Mm, mm, mm. in the karaoke world. I
0: haven't seen too many i do know what you're talking about i think i've maybe seen a couple of episodes of those Hmm. types of shows yeah um where they where they have people trying to match the exactly yeah completely down to certain yeah yeah there's a real demand for that for perfection Hmm. in the sense of nailing down what the original the, the <laughs> original singer wanted right or what he got on this particular song mm. so yeah i don't know if that's like uh somehow separates you you made it a comparison to american idol where it's mm. about you expressing yourself mm. through another person's song mm. but here it's no you have no identity <laughs> <laughs> you have no individualism <laughs> you're part of the collective and you just got to follow 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 what we think is perfect
1: yes <laughs> Do it as I say. Mm. <laughs> of course, the people musicians create their own characters and have unique nature, but it's the, the the process of doing the cover and following, you know, following something to the T is considered very, very. Uh, it's a very important aspect of Japanese culture, I think.
0: Another important thing about uh aspect of uh Japanese culture, which. I think everyone around the world has known this about Japan, but it's the idol phenomenon. Mm. Idol music. Right. Um, I think it needs special mention because upon coming here, I couldn't avoid this Mm. uh, saccharine, overly positive sounding cuteness, Mm. overload pop music it's it's incredible actually watching yeah. these music these videos mm. of these colorful, um, overly feminine music videos because uh, they're incorporating every stereotypical theme you can imagine Japanese mm. girls being right you know just young short skirts sometimes in school uniforms maid outfits high high pitched um, not having much mastery over their voices mm. but getting by with mm. limited vocal ranges right. Um, very elaborate dance routines, but I think I was first introduced to Morning Musume upon coming here. Right back. Uh, I don't know. Are you familiar with Morning Musume? Yeah, I know the name. You know, I never
1: really paid attention too much, but yeah, I'm familiar, slow, vaguely, vaguely familiar.
0: Yeah, they were another uh, major phenomenon, and they made way for AKB forty eight, mm-hmm. which. Uh, Is I think they kind of revolutionized The way of Selling The music itself Mm -hmm. Through Selling The Chance To actually meet Every Every member of the group Mm -hmm. In Akihabara Right So AKB48 comes from I mean Akihabara uh, Where they were based but uh, but yeah, it just gave lonely otaku's many of them, yeah, many of them otaku's, which are geeks and nerds, uh, that gave them a chance to actually meet these these beautiful young girls mm. in person. So who are
1: bound by contract yeah. not to have boyfriends,
0: exactly. That's right. I was just about to go into that mm. about the the different cultural or ar- uh, well c- contractual arrangements that these girls agree to upon joining these kinds of groups but apparently the girls are afforded three holidays a year mm-hmm. of five days each in winter summer and new years so it isn't completely all they're not we're not slave drivers you get a few days off
1: Oh, uh, okay well um I mean that's just that's good I mean, what do they? Where can they go? What do they do? Yeah.
0: I know, mean. <laughs> not allowed to go out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I've um, I've gone back and forth with my opinion of them, hmm. of, of just the the idea of the concept, right? Of these girl, not just girl girl groups, but the boy groups, boy bands like hmm. SMAP, Arashi. I think many of them are also under the same kind of strict policies, very, uh, very uh, uh, limited. Yeah, you talk what about they, boy band. What they like, do in personal life.
1: Boy band, you know, man band, you know, because at this point, like, SMAP is... At this point, Barry, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Middle-aged band. <laughs>
0: right, right. Well,
1: I don't know if they really sing together all that much, though. So. Arashi, they they famously broke up last year because they, there's a the one boy band because there's under you know all the strict measures and rules, and they just wanted to
0: branch out and do other things. Mm. Yeah, uh, I don't know. How do you how do you feel about this culture of maybe it's not as bad as it once was, but the, the culture know, of cultivating these groups. Through major organizations like uh, Johnny's, mm-hmm. Johnny's is one mm. from the I think late late sixties, mm. where this kind of a pervert, like a Japanese Harvey Weinstein type for music, mm. started <laughs> so, right. like had this idea for uh, for for groups and following Western. I think I think the first inspiration was maybe ja- um, Michael Jackson. Oh, okay, was one of the the first major influences, like dancing and um, singing and. Uh, having whole choreography around um a certain group but the but the planning was like like any project which a big big business would underta- would undertake mm. everybody was just finely cultivated curated every member you had to know everything about their background upon joining um the group and it was um i think it 's a yeah it's interesting from that standpoint you know being westerners in japan and you see it you you can look at it through our eyes as abuse mm. or through unnecessary uh, rigid overbearing control over over your employees it goes about you you have to go above and beyond what's normally called for if you are in any kind of overproduced musical outfit in our countries
1: I think, you know, there. there's this whole, you know, the culture of the, the girl band, it, there's, in the AKB48, there's like a voting system, like a, a system where yeah. fans can vote on and off, or who's going to last, and then there's planned, uh, what they call graduation, satsugyo, where, you know, these girls will reach 24, 25, and then decide to retire from it and they call it graduating and uh it's usually these graduations are usually held on television live or not i don't know if it's live but there's lots of pageantry and speeches that are tear-filled and all of this type of stuff and flowers being passed to and fro and songs and homages and all these types of things going
0: on did you tear up watching it
1: I have no feeling
0: <laughs> towards
1: these groups I, I i don't you asked me earlier what I think I, I don't really pay attention to them that much they don't they, it, when I first came to Japan and I went into a video store, I was like looking at movies, and I saw this one section of like uh, these idol bands, and it all looks like the most gaudiest. Neon Colorscape It was almost like We were talking I was talking about Wizard of Oz It just reminds me of The color scenes Of Wizard of Oz With the munchkins Like how Overt The use of Color contrast was That's what they've mm-hmm. done To all these You know mm-hmm. It's like these kids Basically Like You can start at like Eight or You know Nine or ten years old There was a group That really freaked me out Skeeved me out Called Sexy Zone And I was working At a junior high school and I asked the students, you know, what music do you like? And there's this girl, 13 or 14 years old. And she's like, I like Sexy Zone. You should, you should listen to Sexy Zone. I'm like, all right. So then I go home and I turn on YouTube and I watch Sexy Zone. And it's a bunch of 14-year-old boys dancing. I'm mm. like, those boys have no zone which should be called Sexy Right. Was, <laughs> you know what i mean it was like it made me feel so uncomfortable that i typed into the search bar Sexy zone" and a group of 14 year old children labeled for life <laughs> now they have the, your
0: search history <laughs> online a fucking pedophile boys
1: <laughs> dancing around i was like good <laughs> no that's wrong <laughs> that is horrible. <laughs> so that's my relationship. And then also I, I went to some uh, fireworks. When I still live in Tokyo, my, my wife got some tickets to some fireworks in uh, Meiji Jingu Stadium. It was a stadium around Meiji Jingu. And we get in there and we, we sit down. And I thought we were just going to watch fireworks. But there were some musical people there. And there was this group called Barry Kobol. And they sang their songs. And they had their purple outfits, dancing on blah blah blah. And then, you know, I was sitting there. I was like, "What the hell is this?" And the, the after the after the songs, they all went down. They said their names, and then they told their height. Like they said, "Hi, I'm so and so. I'm 15 years old. I'm 170 centimeters." And I heard this great big scream of applause from behind me, and I turned around, and behind me was a sea of Japanese men. All yeah. in their mid twenties to thirties. I was right. flabbergasted. I was like, yeah. where have you taken me? <laughs> like, this yeah. is insane. And I, I took out my phone, I was like, I have to record this. But the people of similar age as me my, and my wife were looking at me like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, I'm recording this for posterity. This is insane. But I, I couldn't like I couldn't believe like that 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 took me off guard. You know, that took me off guard more than anything I've really seen in Japan. The fact that junior high school girls dance in little skirts and then tell their names, their age and their height to a group of screaming, adoring men like yeah. that is like <laughs> that was very alarming <laughs> like i didn't know what to right. do with that situation
0: i did a little bit of uh research online about akb 48 okay and so they, they were founded as idols you can meet so this was a big uh revolutionary concept okay is that they're entertain entertainers performers which appeal directly to fans for support mm-hmm. so and that's why they're the highest earning among the highest earning musical acts in Japan. Mm. So, I think they made up to 226 million dollars several years ago. And so what they do is they group the the group is split into several teams, reducing its members workload, mm-hmm. depending on the availability of different theaters around mm-hmm. the area. And uh they enable AKB48 to perform simultaneously in several places. And Mm-hmm. They have like, so you've got team, for example, A, B, team K, and they've all got their own different images. You've got a cute image. You've got a powerful image for another one, another team. And uh, I think they are about up to forty forty eight 48 people. Yeah. Uh, but it's varied. Mm. But it's also gone up to 120 people. <laughs> so new members are called trainees. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken, <laughs> Ken Kuse. Uh-huh. And they're understudies for the group, right. so they perf- they perform occasionally as well. Shakespeare,
1: yeah, Shakespeare understudies. Yeah. yeah,
0: and mm. and this is what got me: mm-hmm. their ages range from their early teens mm. to over twenty, mm. and they're all selected from regular auditions. Now, to us, mm. with our wen- Western sensibilities, mm. and just in your case alone, mm. being in a live performance where you've got uh, guys in their 20s. I'd even say people, you know, many men in their 30s, 40s. Mm. You've got many, many men across many demographics mm. who are many different age groups who go to see these young, scantly clad girls acting cute, mm. very, you know, sometimes sexy, sometimes cute, sometimes pretty, sweet. Or And you, all, you know their dimensions, you know their bra size, you know their cup size, you know their hip dimensions. So it's easy for you to fantasize as a man, as a lonely man who's a comic dork or anime geek. You can visualize yourself with these girls. That's why you give an opportunity to go and shake their hand. Mm. Um, but it, f- to me, yeah, it is like a few red flags in my mind. I don't know mm. if that's just me, but... I Just mean, knowing this kind know, of information, it's,
1: it, it's a little disconcerting. It's like a, a way for an escape into this fantasy world that becomes partially real, but never manifests itself into a full blown reality. So, that's the, I guess that's the the main element of that whole akb 48 or the other ones too there's like nogizaka 10 trillion million or whatever the hell like like they all have like a different number (laughs) of people Mm, uh in their groups but they're all feeding off of this fantasy pseudo reality that never can really cross over into a full-blown reality and so they the the people, the followers, especially men, stay within that fantasy world. And so I guess for some, that means that they, they they don't really feel a need to express themselves outside of that fantasy world. And so some people might say this is uh, a way of quelling any kind of deviant behavior, as it were, to manifest itself in greater society.
0: Yeah, that's one way to look at it. Mm. Yeah, Another way, it's like it's an exploitation of young girls, Mm. putting them out there on a pedestal and letting guys jerk off over a 12-year-old girl whose picture poster has in his bedroom.
1: Yeah, so that's the thing, is that what's probably most disturbing for Westerners is that you have a group of girls with such a huge range of ages. You know, it's not just like the 20. Not really. None right? are
0: over like 22. <laughs> no, there's, there's one, there's 25, they reach 25 or 26.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the, that range, yeah. but you know, what we're talking about is like puberty, to you know full-blown adult you know when you're 22 you've pretty much reached your physical adulthood Mm. uh give or take a year
0: and after your innocence has been stolen
1: yeah so you are but you know there's a definite difference in body type and and uh look of someone who's 12 versus someone who's 22 and maybe, you know, there's sub-genres of of men who just don't, they don't look at the younger ones. Or if they do, there aren't, perhaps they're not looking at them sexually. Mm. So it might just be, because in, in Japan, there's this whole world of cute, which is so heavily distinguished from sexuality. Again, like Western culture, there is such a proclivity to connect cute to sexy. But mm, in mm. Japan, there is definitely a completely separate world of cute. And that mm. doesn't just apply to girls that applies to uh, older women as well, or even can apply to an Oji-san, like an old man or an older woman. And th- That's also something that I think we have to take into consideration when we're thinking about the fan base uh, of these groups. They might, you know, there's the world of cute and not necessarily the world of sexualization because it seems to me that they are are distinctly different worlds within Japan.
0: Also, the minority, um, having sex with a minor, wasn't illegal until 2000,
1: mm-hmm.
0: early 2000s. So it's still relatively a recent phenomenon for Japan as a culture to view sleeping with a minor as uh, as, as something that goes beyond the pale. Like it's not, I mean, kind of frowned upon, but it's still was kind of accepted would that be fair to know. say
1: i don't know like if you were to say that to older japanese people how many people would be like yeah that's true i think there would be people of varying moral belief system within that so maybe legally it was accepted but perhaps culturally people were leaning more towards that being the wrong thing to do Mm. Uh, and what, but you know, then we're, we're talking about like age of consent and things like that, which I I don't know how we want to go down this rabbit hole right now because we're talking about music, (laughs) you know, it's like, uh, maybe we should uh, pull ourselves out of this, uh, because, um, I mean the, the whole, the whole world of, uh, girls singing and groups, there's also, uh, exile, which is a boy group, which goes into manliness and, What's fascinating about all of these things, I think, is that the characters, the specific individual characters that each each person has. And, uh, you know, I teach a lot of students, I teach a lot of high school students, and oftentimes, you know, they're big fans of these different groups and then specific individuals of those groups. And they love to see those uh those people perform and it's not just the the leader person that might be the person they like it might be some other person within that group because they're portraying some sort of character and a a certain look that is unique to that person within that group and so they really like that person and i think Mm. that's something that is uh i think often maybe goes missed it, when we look at it through Western eyes, because we just see one group and one kind of uniform thing moving along, and even if they're wearing all the same uniforms, or whatever. But actually, these people actually go out onto these uh, variety shows, and I think variety shows are one of the main outlets for all these all these um, musicians in these groups, these boy and girl groups, to get extra work. They become like representatives of that group. And, but they have a specific uh, personality that they try to show on the on the on the variety show, and uh, they push a certain kind of feeling that they want everyone to know about, and mm, mm. and you get to know like their personalities and their background, their backstory, and also you know when you're you're thinking about these people, they're we're kind of I think we're skewing towards the the idea of almost like slave labor. But these people, most of them, you know, maybe with parental control or something at twelve, age 12, it's pretty young. But they, you know, chose. Maybe it's like 13, officially, 13 years old. I think it's like, they are choosing. It's not like, you must join this group and now you are beholden to me.
0: Oh, Uh, I'm sure it's like a passion. Yeah, Yeah. they have a genuine passion and wanting to join a girl group.
1: I think we have to, you know, see that as well. Like there's it's a highly, highly desired desired position to be in, one of those groups and there's an insane amount of competition to get into them. But
0: um you know, I I don't know. Mm. I feel like we Well, talk to me about um uh I think you wanted to mention the end of year, New Year's singing competition, Kohaku Tegazen.
1: Yeah, Kohaku Utagassen is something that you know I've been I would watch I may watch almost every year, and it's in New Year's Eve, and it's a competition between uh, male singers and female singers, and each each team has their own color, a white and red, and then at the end of the show, people vote. Which one
0: are the boys? I can't, <laughs> I can't remember. I can't remember. I don't know if they're red or <laughs> oh, Do they interchange every year? Do they just it's, alternate?
1: It's, no, I think they're, they're always the same color, but I can't remember which one it is. Well, the great thing about this, and what, what's a really interesting, great thing about the Kohaku event is that you get a variety of genres in there. You have what we've been talking about the past 20 minutes, about the uh, girl groups and the boy groups. And but then you get into like the singer songwriters of Japan who hit it big. You get into the old folk songs, the what is called? Yeah. Yeah. And the, the young and up and comers and then the older people, the classics and you hear heavy rock or you get into the visual K like the guys that don't even know how to play instruments, but they pretend to play them. And that's like a, a thing. And, um, You get to see all kinds of generations from, you know, the little kids uh, in uh, 10 years old to the older uh, singers have been in Japan for decades who are in their 70s or 80s. And everyone's expressing themselves in different ways. And it's really fun to see the... um, the older women who are like kind of like the divas of Japan, but are in their sixties and seventies, put on these extravagant costumes that would put Liberace to shame. Like there's like, <laughs> like these, these, like the whole set is designed around the woman's dress. Like, yeah. And she'll, yeah. there's this one woman, she'll, she'll come out from this. She's like on these cables and she'll come out from the top of the rafters and be placed down onto a, an upper platform, which is a good two to three meters high. And the dress flows all the way down to the floor. And then she's wearing this giant headgear getup. And, and it's just, and then she do, does her singing and it's all well produced and directed, obviously well choreographed to put on this incredible show. Uh, and then, you know, the, the 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 paper falls from the sky, you know, it's like all these different realities that they try to create for the viewers. And a lot of times all the same people come up over and over again. But sometimes you'll see unique people that you haven't seen before play. And it's just a really interesting, eclectic group of Japanese pop stars spanning generations and mm. I, I think that is one of the it's a really unique feature of of Japanese culture, the kōhaku. Because, you know, mm. like New Year's Eve in America, we had we for so many years, uh, it was Dick Clark, the Rockin' Eve, you know, things always very specific genres. And now I feel like everything's so specialized in America where you have your country music fans and you if you want to watch the country music awards or you want to watch country music for New Year's Eve, then you have that one channel with that music. And then if you want to get more towards black urban music, then you'll have that other channel. And then there's like the mainstream kind of maybe Miley Cyrus area or whoever's big right now. Uh, and they'll have that genre. But Kohaku brings all of those people together. Right. And I think that's a really cool, interesting. Thing that it does and it, i think it speaks to the importance of familial connections in Japan to bring it a little bit deeper because you know family and generations is really pe- really important keeping people together and by having a, this eclectic mix of singers songwriters new and old can allow everyone in the family to enjoy it it's like the the ultimate singing variety show you know, we haven't, we don't really have that anymore in American culture. We don't have the variety show culture, and that Kohaku system. Although sometimes when you watch a variety show, it seems kind of old and outdated because it does looks like something from the nineteen seventies at times. It does. the The core of it is everyone gets to enjoy a little part of the show, and that's that's something I think is really, really uh, a unique feature. It, when compared to Western cultures, especially my home country, America. What are it's your... A, f- yeah, yeah are you
0: family, thinking? it's a family... Um, it's a great family event, you're right, mm-hmm. because everybody's musical tastes, if you like, of course, Japanese music, being Japanese, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure there are some Japanese who don't like Japanese music at all, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure that the majority... Do like some genre in Japan, mm. either pop or some girl band or boy band or me, um, rock or 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 folk or or Inca traditional Japanese style music. I think uh, yeah, it's perfectly suited to a New Year New Year's Eve event where mm. all the families together because it feeds into Japanese culture in that regard because Japanese do spend time with each other mm. on uh, during the New Years so uh yeah um it is is uh, i don't know how long it's been going for has this been going on for it's decades many, many a decade yeah decades. decades
1: yeah it's been going on for a really long time you know there's other things to watch on new year's eve but that's one of the the mainstays of japanese television
0: yeah, I've usually gravitated towards the other channel, which mm-hmm. has these comedians uh-huh. uh, at some kind of uh, <laughs> yeah, warehouse yeah, yeah. or area, and they they're just doing, yeah, you know, trying not to laugh. Anyway, well, we we'll, could we'll talk about that at another time. Right, right.
1: Yeah, I guess I, I want to talk about you know music that I like, Japanese music that I like, uh, because we we've been talking about a lot of different things, but. Uh, w- you know, I'm sure you have your your fan of various music like Mr. Children, but I, I like um, I like a lot of stuff that I've been actually influenced by my wife to to listen to, and so so that ends up we're in our 40s. So a lot of the a lot of the musicians come out of the 80s and 90s rather than current <laughs> current people. But uh, there's a, a band I really like called The Boom, which is a, a rock band that. Uh, I guess they're out of Nagano. And the lead singer just has a a great crooning voice. He croons songs. And he, he does a, 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 a good combination of uh, genres. Like he'll have a little ska in his songs. But also then he'll take it down to Okinawa. And he has a song that's quite popular. That was quite famous. Where he uses shamisen traditional Okinawan guitar-like instrument to talk about World War II. And um, all the visual imagery of of the nature and all that kind of stuff and the emotions that went through it, but then he'll have very cynical songs that were of cynical of the time, like Terabiko, which is you know a child of TV, and like the the song is basically about kids who just want to sit around and watch TV and they have nothing, no interest in girls and just want to you know. I'd rather do that than anything else. But he also has love songs and stuff like that. But I, I really enjoy all the visual images that he creates in his songs and the the various compositions that he does. Um. But there, you know, there's other other groups like um, Bowie, who's from the 1980s, and of course that that name kind of harkens to David Bowie. So imagery from the early 80s was of uh, of David Bowie. Uh, Himuro Kyosuke the lead singer of that that group, he, he was very much into that visual style, especially ni- early 1980s of David Bowie. But the songs and the sound is very, very kind of late 1970s, 80s, what might be called new wave, British new wave sound. And I, I really like that. But the lead guitarist of Bowie, uh, he lives in the UK now, but he did a lot of the soundtrack for Kill Bill. Uh, the the uh, mm. Tarantino flick, uh, but I really like the sounds of uh, the the very early albums, uh, specifically Moral. Moral is a good uh, a good album to listen to. But I, you know, those are a few. I have a bunch of other, you know, musicians that I like. But what about you? What are what are some of the the musicians that you like?
0: Uh, well, I think we we've already covered it. Yeah, Mr. Children, Gak Gak Gak. The odd AKB48 song, mm-hmm. not yeah. I mean, there's there's quite a few that I've uh, that I've heard in karaoke. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember the names, but yeah, there's the odd there's the odd song that I like, but it's not enough for me to actually invest in any albums, though. Oh really? I have to say, yeah,
1: I, I really came to like um, Iimawano Kiyoshiro, who's a, a a rock guy who pretty much modeled himself after keith richards it looks like but he um he was actually i watched a documentary on him uh, last year he he died of cancer about 10 years ago that's how i came to know him he was always on the morning shows he kept showing the funeral image of him i was like who the hell is this guy but anyway he um he was really into otis redding and so he's heavily Mm -hmm. influenced into by otis redding's uh concert live concert styling so he kind of followed a few tricks of his trade but the sounds the sound he sounds more like uh something out of a, a uk you know 1960s or 70s sound but he has a lot of fun songs one of my favorite songs that he did it was kind of more of a uh, eclectic sound it Was a song called fuck you and it's basically i learned a lot of words i don't know if about you but like somebody learned a lot of new words from Uh, songs and that song is basically him saying to Japanese society oh shape up because your stereotypical ways are bullshit and he's saying like you know stereotypes fuck you and categories fuck you and if you don't change your ways go fuck yourself and that's the whole song it's really Mm. interesting and fun to listen to but those are that's how I learned the word stereotype and otherwise and all kinds of different things but then he kind of goes off into a sound that kind of sounds like uh, Johnny Cash in this one song called Kitakaze and that's, um, that's a really kind of cool song with a with a guitar lick that sounds very Johnny Cash-esque um, I, I bought one of his albums that are more rock tin-tinged with rock and I kind of enjoy the, what he's trying to express in his songs and the lyrics that he's talking about But there was one one group that I really liked that was more jazz-based called Ego Rapping. And they're out of uh, Osaka. And they kind of had a very eclectic sound, a a lot of mix of like 1940s big band to straight-up jazz to something you might hear out of a David Lynch movie to um, just all kinds of sounds created and something even more modern into the 1990s sound, like a cranberry sound going on. And I I really liked how she, the the woman, the lead singer sang all those songs. I I thought they were really great. Creates a very interesting cacophony of jazz and rock combined. It's very, very fun to listen to. Um, But I haven't really listened to them in a while. And I, I, I guess as far as hip hop is concerned, I, I like this one band out of Osaka ironically called Insist insist in being rhyme insist you know the sound insisting on something and they're interesting because they play their own instruments so they're they're a hip hop band that's that really musically inclined they do a lot of sampling too but they also uh, do tracks where they they play play get their own guitar drums bass and all, all that kind of stuff and they sometimes it 's really interesting because they pay homage to like um uh, de la soul and some of their songs right from de la soul is dead they 'll sample that stuff, which is really interesting because you always hear things coming from a really really mainstream area uh when when you think about rap influenced in Japan like you might hear people who are closer to Kanye West or something like that but um, these guys really go deep down into the into the hip-hop world of America and I don't know how deep they go because I don't really know that much about hip-hop but um, I, I found I find them really fun to listen to they have a lot of interesting fun songs but I could you know go on and on you know, there's even Enka I like. There's Eri Chiemi. Eri Chiemi is a, a woman who actually was the first Sazai-san. Uh, she played the lead character in a live-action movie of Sazai-san, which is now a cartoon in Amer- in Japan that's been on the air for 40 or 50 years. And uh, she sang a lot of great, great music that was Enka-inspired, or what is called Minyoshu. The Minyoshu is like the folk songs of different regions of Japan, and I, I bought a, one of her albums. Uh, uh, it was an original pressing of something she did in back in 1965. And I'll, I'll put that on every once in a while and make my my make my wife chuckle a little bit because I'm listening to something she would never even that maybe her parents wouldn't even have listened to. But uh, I, I just like all the different things that go on, the different sounds that you can hear. Because even in that time, you had a combination. She she played with a, a band called the Tokyo Cuban Boys. And it was, of course, heavily Latin influenced. Then she would combine that Latin sound with like something of a traditional song from Kumamoto. You know, and it was like and we're talking about fusion of songs and globalization. All this kind of stuff happening in the late 1950s, early 1960s. It's so, it was such an amazing. It sounds so new to me, even though it's 50 or 60 years old and I I think we go back to those old records and we can see, we can kind of trace how Japan has been influenced by different worlds and how maybe Japan is influencing the musical interests of people in other countries. It's really, really interesting how things keep mixing and mixing together further and further into the future. Sorry. It's my end of my, my little spiel.
0: All right. I think that brings us up to the end uh, of the podcast. So, uh, Until next time. All right. I'll see you then.